So yeah, so my name is uh, Joel. It's good to meet you. <laughs> yes, my name is Andrew. Very nice meeting you. Thank you. You know, I've been I've been a fan for a while, so it's pretty cool uh, oh. to get on the phone with you. Yeah, one of my biggest. Uh, I, I lived in Chicago in uh, 2003, and one of my biggest disappointments was that I, I I messed up a date and I missed you at Warp Tour by one day. And I was so upset about it. I took a photo of myself holding a sign that said I miss Andrew WK by one day. I was really bummed, man. Well, thank you for caring that much about that. And uh, <laughs> I in the Chicago area probably more than most states, um, as well as Michigan. So we're always... Yeah, do you do you get back to like when you come back to Michigan for shows? Do you like like go to Ann Arbor? You got like to hang out with family and stuff. Oh yeah, every time. Yeah, your uh, dad your dad teaches at uh, U of M and everything, right? Yes, that's correct. He's a law professor at the law school here. Uh, but yeah, most of my immediate family is still based there, so I go there as often as possible. I think uh, I think we're gonna just kind of discuss some movies today and stuff, or or, or things like that. And I was like. Like we're, I think we're about the same age, so I was curious if there was like any any movies uh, that you were like way crazy into in high school, because I think that's where like people like really get into movies the most is like the shit they see in high school. Well, yes, I was thinking about this in advance. And at that time, I was definitely into um, trying to find movies. Well, I had a, a, a rather primal experience, I believe, in my freshman year, in which I saw at a, a concert that was actually at the University of Michigan uh, on their campus at uh, some type of auditorium that had a screening room. There were some very uh, confrontational and intense uh, groups and bands playing, and that's why I had gone. But one of the groups specifically, I believe it was called 10,000 Dying Rats. I think that was their name. Something very similar to that. And they're, I believe they're from yeah. Michigan. I tried following up with them several times over the years. I'm sure they're still active, or the members are in some capacity. They were definitely very dedicated. Part of their presentation, their show, involved us using the, the projector and the big screen there uh, and showing this compilation of movie clips that they had edited together uh, mm-hmm. that was very intense and there's a lot of clips that I was semi-familiar with and then there was many that I was unfamiliar with including clips from a movie called Necromantic that were um, probably it was probably the most disturbing thing I'd ever seen and I had known that the clips I mean, part of it was probably taken from uh, or had the same atmosphere as a compilation like Face of the Death. Which right. Was, you know, real... Those were so... It, half of those were so fake, though, those Faces of Death. That was like... I was so into those, but it was so, always such a bummer because, like, half of them were, like, reenactments and stuff. Yeah, I, I never actually saw any of, the, any of those films. Um, I wasn't... I was kind of just too too scared, to be honest. But I mean, <laughs> friends who were collect, collected those series and, and similar series did talk about how half the footage wasn't real. It would be like, it'd be like, the face of death, they'd be like, oh, yeah, in the 1700s, uh, they would drag people until their skin ripped off. And then it would show supposed footage, footage from the 1700s before video, uh, uh, film cameras were even invented. 
So it was like, come on, man. What the hell is yeah, up with that? You know that's got to be fake in that case, then. But I've never heard of necro... What you say, necromantic? Yeah, so anyway, yeah, that was just to get a sense for the, the reader or for you about the style that they were going for. It was definitely in that vein. And one of the clips featured uh, this sort of climactic scene, literally, from this film, Necromantic, which is a German-made film by a director. I believe his name is George Buttergart. I'm not probably saying it right. Anyway, yeah. he, he made two films uh, in the series called Necromantic and then went on to make other people actors to some degree. But Necromantic featured this scene towards the end where the main character of the story is stabbing himself in the stomach with a screwdriver and um, ejaculating huge amounts of semen and blood. The, the blood, especially from his uh, erection, it's something I probably had never even really imagined or thought of or was, was possible. You know, it was really seeing something that I didn't even think was in the realm of possibility, even though it was obviously not real. It was the, the combination of the other footage that was edited around this scene, combined with the place we were viewing it, combined with the, the, the soundtrack, the music provided by this band live, mm -hmm. this darkened theater was uh, all, all culminated in this very intense thing. I mean, I felt sick to my stomach, um, but I couldn't look away, and I realized as it was happening that I was changing, like this was changing me as a person, and you don't get too many of those experiences, although you do get a lot of them at that age. We really, yeah. really tell that this was a turning point. And then I ended up hunting down that movie almost almost as a way of trying to deal with the trauma of having seen it. Rather than avoid it, I felt like going deeper into the nightmare would, would be more therapeutic. And it's an incre yeah. incredible film. And uh, that was that was definitely the most... I got hooked on trying to find movies that made me feel that way. And it was not easy to find many others that, that did that. Yeah, I think that's kind of like when, yeah, at that, like I remember when I was a kid and I saw, and I never, I was, I'd always watch um, the show on PBS, I was like uh, Jeffrey Lyons, something like sneak, sneak previews. And they would, it would be two film critics. It was like kind of a rip off of Cisco and Ebert and they would watch movies. And when I was a kid, I saw, they showed a clip from The Wall, Pink Floyd's The Wall. They showed the clip where all the, the masked, faceless masked people were dropping into, like, the giant meat grinder. And it was, like, so long before the Internet, I could never figure out what that scene was from. And I'd describe it to oh. people, and they wouldn't know what I was talking about. And when I finally, like, watched, I was just watching Pink Floyd The Wall when, in high school, and that hit me that that's where it was from. And that mm. stuff, like, man, that gets you, like, sick to the stomach and like in a way that you just can't get sick to the stomach anymore like after you're younger like that and you just see that crazy shit that that just like sticks in your head and is so so warped like in a good way i guess well, it's, it sort of like you. It's, a it's a debaucherous moment where you're expanding your mind but also your appetite and you go chasing after that, and you know it's like at your first time getting high or something, you'll, ne you'll never be able to quite recreate it. It's a fleeting yeah. high point. Um, <clears throat> I actually never have seen The Wall. Are you a fan I'm of Pink Floyd? Well, as much yeah. as anybody else. I mean, I don't know that much about them, but I, I, I like everything I've heard for the most part. I mean, there's, there's a, there's, there are those 
sort of uh, insurmountable areas of the arts, whether they're an artist or a band or a film or a book, where it's so huge of a of a confrontation. I mean, you really have to, you sort of end up working through it or avoiding it, but one way or another, it's a part of your life. Now, I haven't consciously avoided Pink Floyd, but I, I definitely knew, well, I could go buy those albums and finally get into it, spend a lot of time with it, or not, and I just haven't done it. I don't really know why. That's kind of, I was that way with the Beatles for a long time, where finally one day I was like in my early 20s, I was like, I got to just finally get into the Beatles and see what this is all about. It was too overwhelming and I've been putting it off for no reason and I just like got a bunch of Beatles records and it just hacked through it until I kind of understood what it was all about. So I totally get that. Yeah, that's a very good good example. Yeah. You know, I get it. You lived in Ann Arbor all the way through high school, right? Uh, yeah. Until <clears throat> I was 18. Well, I moved to Ypsilanti. When I was 17, I was able to graduate a year early by doing a bunch of extra credit. I just moved, you know, across town, basically, just a little outside of Ann Arbor. Yeah, whenever I talk to anybody who was from Ann Arbor, I always ask them if they know anybody who saw Nirvana when they played at the Blind Pig. No, I know about that show, but I was too young to get in there. I missed most of those shows because I was an 18 and up, if not 21 and up venue. So I never really got to see any, any of those legendary shows including the Ramones and many others that played that venue or in the towns. I didn't know the Ramones came to the Blind Pig, too. Yeah, uh, they came there on, let's see what tour that would have been. Gosh, I don't know, probably. Like early? Well, no, not real. Early enough. I mean, I don't remember what year it is. It's on YouTube, actually. It's a great set. I heard I, I heard just someone told me uh, recently that the Doors played a frat house at U of M and that... that uh, all the frat guys hated it because Jim Morrison was pissed and he decided to sing in a high-pitched voice the whole time. And oh, wow. Iggy Pop was there, and Iggy Pop saw it and said, now I like the doors <laughs> because Jim Morrison was just fucking around with everyone. Yeah, I think Jim Morrison was very influential to Iggy Pop's vocal approach. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think, uh, do you think yeah. the door? This is also a question I, I just was having with the same guy and it got really heated. Would you would you consider the Doors to be hippies? No, no, not really. They seemed a lot too too dark to be what would be, I would imagine, sort of classical hippies. They seem to be uh, kind of bouncing off that culture to a large degree. Yeah, that that was my argument. I think they had the fans were hippies, but I think Jim Morrison was more of kind of like this doom gloom biker rocker, almost like pre punk or something like that. For sure. Yeah, I think there were a lot. More, there was more pessimism and cynicism in their in the atmosphere they created. Yeah, where the hippies were like holding up two fingers to say peace. I think Jim Morrison was holding up the middle finger instead. So I think it's different. That's the vibe I always got. Sure, and I think yeah. they 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 influenced people in that regard that you could uh, you could go into that space and explore it. I think David Bowie probably was. I mean, they were. It's incredible how influential they were in ways that aren't necessarily so visible or noticeable. Because it, it's hard to even re, their, their sound was very unique with that keyboard-driven approach and this kind of there's a sort of serene feeling to it. You wouldn't say like 
it was really uh, over the top in any way. It was kind of restrained, but it was very negative. And I remember David right. Bowie talking about that was the things he was interested in. And I don't think there was many bands from that time that really were able to sum up sort of the 60s trans, uh, trans- transition into the 70s, and that, that was a real dark transition. I think they're the kind of the link between the hippies and the punks, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we should get back to... Have you seen... Okay, so, uh, like, what's... Do you, like, watch movies very often? Or are you just, like, bu- busy, like, crazy all the time? Or oh, I love movies. I try to watch as many as possible. I mean, I really enjoyed going to the theater, movie theaters, always, whenever... whenever. Like, what's the, what's the last... What's, like, what's the last movie you saw in the theater? In the theater... It's been a while now. Um, gosh, probably uh, the, the the last Hobbit movie, Battle of the Five Armies. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even see that one. I saw the first one and it didn't work for me, so I didn't bother going to the second one. Was it good? Yeah, well, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I like it. I was real impressed with uh, with everything Peter Jackson's done since. <laughs> yeah, Dead Alive. That was there was like this. There's like me and a few guys in high school, and we had like a list of movies that we had to track down somehow. And Dead Alive was on there, and like to know that that same guy would go on to make this epic fantasy series, of The Lord of the Rings. If you would have told us back then, like he he did Meet the Feebles. You ever seen Meet the Feebles? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. That, 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 like that sort of uh, you know legendary underground movie. Yeah, that was that was on the list too. Like just to think that that the guy who did Meet the Feebles and Dead Alive would be trusted with literally like probably hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars is is pretty rad. He's sure. the only one crazy enough to even think it was possible. I, people wanted to try to make those Tolkien stories into films for years, and those animated versions are, are fantastic. And that seemed like as close as you could get. I mean, how do you? film that visually. Yeah. I love the... Uh, you can see, I think the one really noticed a lot of his style that he introduced or was perfecting in Dead Alive. He he, he used it again. He used it throughout all the Tolkien stuff. The, the, those kind of um, real wide-angle lenses with close-ups, faces, these certain kind of shots. You'll, you you really notice there's a, a style that he, he didn't abandon. Oh yeah, I think certain directors just have have their instinct and they go to it no matter what. Whether it's like chopping someone up with a you know lawnmower or just like a hobbit shooting somebody with a bow or whatever, I don't even know. But yeah, you, I think you can't get away from that kind of stuff. And and that, you've seen so you've seen uh, Ralph Bakshi's animated one, like where he tried to do the whole Lord of the Rings series and it's kind of like halfway through he ran out of money and it just kind of gets shitty and and, like, it's not even animated. They just put, like, colored filters over certain scenes. Yeah. I, think yeah, exactly. I think that is amazing. Yeah, those are really, 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 really fantastic. The music's incredible. The sound design. I really remember a lot about the sound effects and the, just the way the sound worked. I think that for some reason I had a an audio version, just a cassette of those films. I don't know how or why I would have had that, but I remember listening to those. This was before high school, but that I was familiar with before I ever tried reading any of the books, and uh, I really thought those were well done on many levels. Yeah, I got, I was like, as a kid, I was way into the Hobbit 
cartoon, which I think is probably like technically superior to the, the Lord of the Rings cartoon, but the Lord of the Rings cartoon is just like cool for in different reasons because it, he he's trying to do rotoscope animation where he's like anime he's drawing every single cell over over live footage and then and then he just kind of rushes it because he ran out of time and money and it it kind of turns into a, his own version of Lord of the Rings and it's it's like its whole other thing man I mean Ralph Bakshi is I mean there's there's again you get the guy who made Fritz the Cat the X-rated cartoon is now trusted to make you know turn Tolkien's vision into a an animated movie is I don't know who who comes up with these who signs off on these papers, but man, that shit just, just doesn't happen anymore. It's so awesome. And then he did Cool World, right? Yeah, yeah. That was like I think that was his last shot at mainstream. Uh yeah, Brad Pitt is in that, right? Yeah, that cool. actually was a big I mean, that was a really big deal. That was probably more like middle school, junior high school. Yeah, I th- and I th- I think that was kind of like they gave him that they let him do that because Who Framed Roger Rabbit was like a big success yeah. and that was his yeah it was his version of like real life meets animation but it didn't really didn't really click like Roger Rabbit did obviously yeah I like the Roger Rabbit movie a lot <clears throat> when I saw that yeah it's just yeah I just I mean I had a chance they were showing um, I made a movie called Buzzard a couple of years ago. And or one year ago, and they were showing it in Chicago at the Music Box, and then right they have two screens there, and then in the main room they were showing uh, Roger Rabbit on 35 millimeter in this huge like 500 seat venue, but there was like seven people there, and that was oh, like wow. the coolest way to watch that movie. It was just amazing, man. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed those empty theater viewing experiences. It's it's quite strange. Yeah, there's nothing better than a than an empty theater. So, what is your uh, what is your approach when when you set out to make a movie? Are you working on a new one now? Yeah, um, and that's kind of that's kind of my thing is like that. I stay in Michigan. That you know, after film school, it was either you go out west and kind of work for other people, or you stick around Michigan and do your own thing. So I've always just kind of made small movies with, with my friends and we got lucky that, you know, the first feature film we made, um, kind of took off and won a bunch of awards at festivals. So I kind of just am keeping, keeping that spirit alive and staying in Michigan and just making these, these like, um, like guerrilla movies with the same people. And, um, but trying to like show them, expose them to the whole world but still doing them in Michigan and staying in Michigan so kind of going a little bit against the grain that way but you don't need to live anywhere else I don't think I lived in New York wasn't my thing so I'm staying here yeah well that's a phenomenon that I have really related to and definitely heard a lot of other people friends of mine and others who say it's just hard to leave Michigan and it's hard to leave the Midwest and I think it's very admirable when people choose to stay there in a way you think it would be harder to move to L.A. or to move to New York, and that's more challenging. I suppose it is in, in some technical sense, but it is there's a right. challenge to just staying where you've been as well and not succumbing to that traditional path that's all encouraged, almost just 
as much as the path of go to high school, then go to college, then you get a job, and then you got a house, and then you, well, I guess then you get married, then you get a house. There's so much uh, pressure to for, for the certain industries that you can't do it unless you go to these certain places. So I really admire those that stay there. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's been a long road. I mean, that also means staying in Michigan and trying to be a quote unquote artist also means taking temp jobs at banks and you know working at after school programs or whatever you can do to to pay the bills and not doing anything in the industry. So we kind of had to fight for a long time to kind of make our own industry, I guess. Well, there seems to be more but, industry in, in, in Michigan than ever for for film. I don't know. Have you have you worked in any of the converted auto factories and sound stages like? Yeah, that? that was. Yeah, they just they just shut down the uh, the film incentive program after uh, they shot Batman versus Superman in Detroit. And that was kind of the last one because now that program isn't around anymore, so there's no more tax breaks for the big Hollywood movies. But I think that was more geared toward bringing Los Angeles to Michigan um, to boost tourism and thing, because they would bring their own crews and everything. And that was really never my that was never my thing. I never really wanted to work for anyone else. I just wanted to tell my own stories and make my own movies. So. Um, I never even bothered to even try to get into that world because um, I don't want to work 12-hour days on somebody else's movie, basically. So. Yeah, well, I, that's understandable. Do you find that you get a lot of inspiration or ideas almost sort of out of spite from the quote-unquote day jobs? Yeah, I mean, that's what... I mean that's what my that's what Buzzard is about is it's about the guy working as a temp at a at a mortgage company like what I did while I was trying to make movies so like I'll make these movies in Michigan and and show them especially like in Europe when I show them people are just so blown away they've never seen like this kind of Midwest uh, Chicago or or if you're going to set it in the Midwest at farmland so. To get this weird taste of like dirty Seven Elevens and and uh, you know abandoned houses, things like that. They just they don't they're not exposed to that. So it totally informs what I'm doing, um, but not consciously. I'm just making movies about my world. It just turns out my world, I guess, is a little bit you know run more run down than than sunny L.A. So. It works. It works for the kind of movies I make because I make kind of darker movies. So it's a uh, it's a perfect perfect fit, I guess. Yeah, I've definitely noticed and appreciated always. There's a kind of overcast quality to well, some have said just Michigan. I mean, I feel in the whole Midwest. My dad's from Wisconsin. My wife's whole family's mm-hmm. from Illinois, and uh, you know, I spent a lot of time just. A lot of family vacations we would take, we would go to, you know, Ohio or something, to, to whether it was Cedar Point or some musical that might have been touring there, or Cleveland or something like that. People would say, they would tell me that it was depressing, and it wasn't just that they didn't like the snow and the cold and all that. They just found it to be very bleak. But I've probably found that 
what is described as weakness, that kind of flat, open, it's very hard to describe, actually. It's a certain feeling in the air uh, in this part of the country that I don't get anywhere else. And if I do get it somewhere else, it's just it's like, oh, wow, this kind of reminds me of that feeling I love in Michigan. And I don't find it oppressive. I find it extremely inspiring, and it's this, it creates a sense of possibility. Even if it's a sunny day in the summer or something, it, the, the the grayness still lingers there, but it's mm-hmm. not depressing, you know. I, I, I really love it. Right. I don't see why other people don't like it, but to me, that's uh, that's where this magic comes from. Oh, I'm so into, like, a, anytime I see just, like, an old abandoned house or building, like, all I want to do is, like, sneak inside there and investigate. Like, I'm just, I'm so into all of the bleakness, too, man. Like, I mean, Detroit, just driving around Detroit, I just want to go snoop around all of that stuff, all of those things. What do you think it is exactly that makes it so appealing to to us, but in general? Because I've tried to explain it to people, and it's not as simple as saying, oh, well, you know, I like melancholy things, or, it's you know, I like, you know, slumming or things like that. Because it's very aesthetic on one level, uh-huh. but it goes much deeper than that into some kind of, uh, it, it, it's, it's as though there's some glimpse of tr- truth in those visuals or those those settings. And I don't know if it's the idea of sort of the futility of everything and and and, and nature coming through or I've never been able to pin down what it is that I like about it so much. Well, I think it's because at least where where I was growing up is way far from any big city. Like we as kids could sneak into everything. Like anytime there was an old, we'd go to the junkyard and we'd go snoop through all of the the cars there and the buses. And we were just like, there was no boundaries and there was, there was no police. So there was no law. So we could, we could go explore anything we wanted to. And I still have that where, I see it as an abandoned building and realize that no one no one is exploring that, no one's doing anything with that, and maybe no one's been in that building for the last 30 years. I want to go see what's in there. Maybe there's an alien. You know what I mean? Like, what? who knows yeah, what's yeah, inside yeah. of that thing? Possibility. So, yeah, some feeling yeah. of possibility, you know, like a liminal state. It's not, it's a state in between. It's not completely destroyed, it's not brand new, it's not functional, yeah. but it's not purposeless, it still lingers, it's hanging between all these different states of being, and there is just something very soul-satisfying about that. Yeah, and when you're, when you're, when you grow up kind of, I feel like in a bigger city where there is laws and there's rules and there's people watching you all the time, you you have the sense of boundaries. You can't go in there. You're going to get in trouble. But when you're not, when you grow up somewhere in the Midwest where there's not police sirens around you all the time, it kind of allows you just uh, feel a little more free and daring. And, you know, I'm just waiting for the day. I think the day I get in serious trouble, I know it's going to be for breaking and entering into somebody or trespassing into an abandoned building. I know that's how I'm going to get arrested soon because I can't stop doing that kind of stuff uh, just to see what's in there. i got to see what's inside of all those places. Have you ever Have you ever explored old Highway 12 in Michigan? Highway 
Well, no, where's that? I don't remember exactly where it starts. It goes obviously a long ways, and it goes into other states. It used to be the main road, but it was just a little two-way highway. I mean, you wouldn't even think of it as a highway if you saw it compared to, you know, the freeway. But it, uh-huh. it, it, in Michigan, it goes through this section that's several miles long that at one point, not that long ago, was sort of a destination place for local families to visit or vacation. So they have all kinds of tourist attractions, roadside attractions, strange, I don't know what to call them, uh, places where you... But do, they have a, do they have an abandoned dinosaur park there, do you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, prehistoric land. I have every other year my girlfriend and I go sneak in there during the winter and just snoop around and see the the damage. I love that stuff. I know it. That uh, that, that two towers further down the road where there's... uh, Yes. It looks like big old lighthouses that have no function other than it's just strange and catch your eye. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is like Irish Hills, Michigan. Yeah, yeah I know exactly. exactly what you're talking about. It's a, yeah, and there's a really good cemetery there too. Yeah, it's so cool. There's like an old, there's like a western town and stuff that's just not operating. Yeah, there's a couple western towns, and 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 sometimes like I went, I guess this was last year, maybe the year before. My mom, because my mom really understands. I don't know that she necessarily has a personal connection to these kinds of phenomenon but she she is very aware that i like it so she'll suggest things and i never known about this and she said oh you're driving there you should take this road to get there on your way you'll pass this certain thing and i it it was like someone had i mean i really felt like i was in a dream it was one of those rare Mm -hmm. moments where i i I couldn't it was one of the happiest experiences of my life getting because i couldn't believe that this existed and it existed in every way that I would want something to exist <laughs> over and over again. And just when you thought you'd seen the the most amazing roadside place, then there'd be yeah. another one that was even more bizarre and mysterious. Dude, and that is that's the, that is the exact feeling, like a dream, like you're a little kid and you can't believe it. That is the feeling, man. That's it. Yeah, it's like a dream. And it's like a dream. Sometimes you have dreams, and it made me relate to this too, where it's it's some version of a house you once lived in, but there's all these extra rooms. You think, oh, how did I not know there was this whole other level to this house? This is awesome. I could build this a whole studio in here. I could I could create a, a whole fun house in this part. Or and then you kind of start to know it isn't really it, or it's the town you've lived in, but there's whole areas and that are variations on familiar landmarks, but just skewed somehow. And every now and then, I've, I have, these are recurring dreams that I've had for many, many, many years. And then every now and then, like you're saying with the Irish Hills, you'll find something in waking life that lines up with that feeling. And you just can't believe that you're melding those two worlds in real time. Dude, you're totally on it. Yeah, it feels like a waking dream, like a deja vu that you just want to, like, I tell, you know what? It, it reminds me, because, like, I'll go drive with my girlfriend, and she is not into the sneaking in or, or you know, exploring these abandoned things. And she's, she's like, she's super into, like, puppies and kitties and snuggling with them. And she's like, you know, they're so cute. I just want to 
squeeze them till they, you know, explode. Don't you have that feeling, Joel? And I'm like, I don't really have that feeling. And then one day I realized, I was like, you know, when I drive by cool abandoned fun houses or amusement parks, that's the feeling I get that you get around puppies, where I just want to squeeze it, man. I don't know what to do. I just want to, just want to hold the whole thing and never let it go. Yeah, you. It's a combination of wanting to swallow it and have it swallow you. Yes. Yes. Like, you just when you I don't want to leave. You kind of want to live there or something, but you know you can't. But you just want to take it with you, and you can't. You can't. Yeah, exactly. And you know that any sometimes almost even talking about it, you know, doing it a disservice. It's it's so precarious in the way that it exists already, and your relationship to a place like that is so so particular. It's like the whole thing mm-hmm. is hanging by a thread, physically as it's crumbling. And you know yeah. that it's not going to exist forever. And you know that you, that no version, like trying to recreate it, trying to build it, even trying to take photographs of it. I've tried to take photos of those places. And, it, you know, it never even comes close to capturing the – you can't capture the, the feeling. And that's the most painful part is yeah, knowing – you don't know what to do. You don't know yeah, what to do. don't know what to do. Except just try to <laughs> recognize – just try to recognize those things – as often as possible, and, it, and I guess it, it's really nice when it's something like this happens, where you find somebody else who really relates exactly to this indescribable phenomenon. About that, like it's a, it's like a dream you had when you were a kid, and and finally, like twenty years later, whatever, you see this dream in front of you, and you just don't, you don't know what you want to just like tell people about it, or just like, just, just stick it in your pocket. Yeah, like, I like to swallow you, man. And it's just that feeling. It just drives me crazy, and I love it. And and I'm also way into that with, um, like, places where they've shot movies that I'm into. Like, I, we just, my girlfriend and I just recently snuck back into uh, the woods in uh, in Tennessee where they shot the first Evil Dead just to see all the ruins back there. And oh, so yeah, that, well, to me, is, like, the best combination. I mean, the cabin is all falling apart, but, like, the chimney's still there and the holes are still there from the basement. And I just, I mean, that's just, like, a, the best dream feeling to go find these places for movies. Yeah, and it's something, that it's a, the movie aspect of it is a very good example because if it, had ju- if it was just a ruined cabin, that would still be interesting. But the fact that it was built for this very specific purpose that itself, in itself was sort of like a facade, that's why... I think that Irish those Irish Hills places, they're not just, yeah, if it was these abandoned buildings that were old, I don't know, grain silos, still there's something nice about that. But it's the fact yeah. that they're built at, for this purpose of amusing or this attraction, this kind of entertainment, where there's sort of a hollowness about them to begin with, sort of a, a strange type of functionality. Like a fun house is a great example because, no one lives in a fun house. A fun house isn't right. really a house. It's a place that serves its very particular, elusive purpose, like a movie, to, to entertain in a certain way. And seeing built like a roller coaster being abandoned has such a different feeling than if you saw, I don't know, like an abandoned mine. An abandoned mine that might look like a roller coaster with the same track going through, that's not as, as it doesn't have that same feeling as something that was built just to amuse, and there's some, there's something about it, like the movie set's a very good example. 
Yeah. I, I don't know why. It, it, it's well, because 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 movies, when you watch them, they're not real, but they feel real, just like a dream. So that when you go finally see it in real life, and it's like visiting an old dream. Yeah, yeah, So it yeah, has yeah, the yeah, same yeah. feeling, like I've seen this before, but I've never seen it in reality, and I've never seen, I've never seen anything real happen. I've just seen, you know, craziness and, you know, edits, things that aren't, don't exist in the real world, a score. I, I remember, oh, I've seen this tree before. I remember there was a scary sound coming, but now I'm seeing it in, with my own eyes, and it's just here in the daylight. It's just like visiting an old dream somehow, man. That's the closest they can get, I think. Yeah, and it's not real the same way. You know, it's not a real cabin, and that's what there's something right. about that. Right. You know, there's an amazing, amazing thing that uh, one of the only other times I've seen something like this. In Australia, of all places, I don't know if they're still doing it, but not that long ago there was an initiative because there's a lot of empty space and a lot of huge highways there where there's just nothingness in every direction. Australia is very barren for a lot of it, as you probably know. So they had some initiative to have artists, commission artists, to build these huge roadside sculptures, um, some of them quite off in the distance. It was very surreal, very powerful, very well done. Some of them mm-hmm. were what you might imagine, just some kind of abstract sculpture or an animal or something. All of them were interesting because... All of them provided this certain roadside amusement, and you weren't really supposed to stop and look at it necessarily. You just kind of pass by and appreciate yeah. it. One of the artists, well, it's just it's so incredible what he did. You can look this up. He built this building that looks like a hotel. And it says hotel on it. You can tell from as you're driving by that there's just something off that the scale of the building isn't quite right the way it's set on its yeah. spot, but it's extremely convincing. But you just know as you're driving, it's just something's weird about it. There's just something. Andrew. Hello. All right, Andrew. Um, I can no longer hear you. So if you're still there, um, it was great talking with you. I got to go. You probably have to go. So hit me up next time you're in Michigan, and maybe we'll go uh, exploring some abandoned dinosaur parks uh if you're not there then this is all pointless um all right later dude see you